Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about true lies. Hey Harry. Hey listen, Helen still loves you. You know, she just wants to bang this guy for a while, you know? It's nothing serious. You'll get used to it soon. Cheering me up! What'd you expect, Harry? Helen's a flesh and blood woman and you're never there. It's just a matter of time. This is an American spy action comedy. Directed by James Cameron. The cast includes The Terminator, Laurie Strode, Tom Arnold, Private Hudson, Cassandra from Wayne's World, and uh, that's it, basically. (laughs) (laughs) I watched this movie on Hulu. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on Hulu. All right. I I want, it's my turn to complain about the player because the Hulu player uh, died on me a couple of times while I was trying to scrub, uh, you know, back and forth to re-listen to lines or, uh, you know, so... Well, you know, this is where we apparently air our grievances about the various streaming services we use. So Hulu, step your game up, at least for the web browser version. I, you know, you know, in a movie like this, I should you expect nothing less than little timestamp, like little chapter markings where Arnold says his iconic lines. That's right. So you can just skip to them and, <laughs> and listen to them over and over again. And the fact that that doesn't exist on Hulu is a major detriment. What is this kind of user experience? You know, am I supposed to be just uh, going through watching the movie one time, not re-listening to Arnold say, you're fired over <laughs> and over again? That's, not, that's a, any way to experience this movie. And I think Hulu has uh, doing a disservice to its customers. Hulu needs to sign uh, Affable Chat on as consultants and we'll help that's them right. fix their platform. We uh, will. But until then, we'll have a discussion about True Lies and uh, we'll get started by recapping the event to this movie with a synopsis that Joey wrote. So, Joey, go, go ahead and get us started. From the outside, Harry Tasker appears to be an ordinary traveling salesman, but secretly, he is a top-level field agent for Omega Sector, a super-secret spy agency in the heart of D.C. Harry is suave, smart, and extremely deadly. He is the best of the best at being a spy, but he's not so good at being a husband. Neither his daughter, Dana, or his wife of 15 years, Helen, have any idea that Harry is a super spy. All they know is he is always away on business trips, late for important events, and totally oblivious to his family's unhappiness. Dana is stealing and dating a boy on a motorcycle, and Helen, well, Helen has a secret of her own. While Harry is off shooting terrorists in the mall bathroom and riding horses through hotel lobbies, Helen is secretly meeting with a man named Simon. Simon is a used car salesman who gets his kicks by pretending to be a spy. He meets with middle-aged housewives and gives them a taste of adventure, spinning tall tales of high-flying, high-stakes excitement and constantly acting spooked when he hears a loud noise to make it seem like he is running from trouble. His latest catch is Helen, the irony being that Helen is actually married to a spy. She just doesn't know it. Harry catches wind of Helen's secret and devises an elaborate plan. He uses his secret agent resources to destroy Simon's mobile home and kidnap Helen. Then they interrogate her without ever letting her hear their voices or see their faces. They expand Simon's lie and tell Helen that if she cooperates, she will not be punished. Helen's assignment is to pretend to be a prostitute and plant a bug on a client's phone. What she doesn't know is that the client is actually her husband, hiding in the shadows. She undresses and dances for him, but before he can fully reveal himself, real terrorists break down the hotel door and kidnap both of them. You see, while Harry isn't wasting resources to psychologically torture his wife, he is investigating a group called Crimson Jihad. This group of international terrorists have gotten their hands on four nuclear weapons and plan to threaten the U.S. until their demands are met. Crimson Jihad found Harry and Helen and flew them to the Florida Keys. They forced Harry to identify the nuclear bomb on film in order for their demands to be taken seriously. 
Then they tie the couple up to torture them. Harry picks his handcuffs and kills his captors. He and Helen watch as the terrorists bury an activated nuclear bomb under cement. Then they proceed to wreak havoc. Harry stealths around, shooting bad guys. Helen drops an Uzi down some stairs, killing a whole bunch of men with guns. But the pair is separated and outgunned. Harry barely escapes from a huge explosion, and Helen is captured. Harry's friends at Omega Sector pick him up in a helicopter. Helen is being transported in a limo. She kicks and fights, using a champagne bottle as a bludgeoning tool. The terrorists are driving in a caravan across a long bridge from their island in the Keys to mainland Florida. Harry directs his men to blow up the bridge, and it stops most of the bad guys. In a daring rescue... Harry pulls Helen out of the sunroof of the limo just as it falls into the ocean. The bomb on the island explodes, but it kills no one. Everyone escaped successfully. But things aren't over yet. The terrorists have captured Harry's daughter, Dana, and are threatening to blow up downtown Miami with their remaining bomb. Harry commandeers a Harrier jet and flies to the city to save her. Dana lures the terrorist leader out onto a crane on top of the skyscraper, and Harry picks her up on his jet. With some fancy maneuvering, Harry flips the bad guy onto one of his missiles, and one quip later shoots the man through a building into the terrorist helicopter. Harry and Helen return home, but now they are both spies working on missions together. The end. So there you have it, the events of True Lies. We'll begin our discussion of of this movie by going over our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about True Lies? I think this movie is, um, you know, pretty well written. It's got a pretty clever twist that I enjoy thinking about and enjoy talking about. Um, I really like the irony that Helen finds spies intriguing, not knowing that she's married to one. It's really fun. Uh, A lot of good tension there. The, The action looks really great lots of shooting and explosions and unique memorable set pieces um it's also really funny uh plenty of good one-liners from arnold this is like you know right at right at arnold's peak as he's kind of coming up as an action star and now he's like you know top billing on everything right and he's in every single movie that's coming out and he's just like whipping them out left and right you know (laughs) shooting them off uh he's just he's just the quippiest guy in hollywood um, it's a it's a decent performance from Arnold overall, and a really really good one from Jamie Lee Curtis. She really pulls this movie together, and I also really like that Arnold's boss in Omega Sector has an eye patch. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I um, I agree with a lot of that. I, I think this movie is tonally consistent, uh, which makes me capable of enjoying it despite how silly it is. Um, yeah. And I think that the movie is well titled. Because it kind of alludes to the fun way that this movie and its characters uh, like play with the idea of the truth and are constantly lying to each other. The stunts are great and still look great. This movie is funny. Um, I, I really love the performances from Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Tom Arnold. And, um, you know, this movie doesn't take itself too seriously. And it's fun and easy to watch. Like, it's just a... Fun time, you know. It's not, not yeah. definitely not, not something that is going to uh, make you think too hard or make you depressed, really, or, or feel anything besides just fun, fun, fun. So, sure, uh, I can enjoy <laughs> that for a movie that sets out to do that. Um, now, let's move on to our cons. What did you not like about True Lies? The entire premise of this movie is based on toxic masculinity. Arnold's like character Harry Tasker is like the like. He is the like model of toxic masculinity. Everything he everything he does is solved with violence. You know, every single problem he has is like he's imagining hurting people or throwing them out of windows or, <laughs> or whatever. Right? He's he's always just like let's just do the most extreme thing. Um, but unless that's like like being a good husband or like a good father, that's not that must be the most boring version of that. Um, so many instances of Harry's just just being like yeah, a bad husband, friend, and coworker. And he continues to be a bad husband afterward, in my opinion. Um, and I think this movie has some holes that I, well, maybe you can answer for me, uh, but I feel like I are not filled very well. I feel like there's big holes in this script that I just don't, um, don't understand. Well, I think one hole in the script is that 
the daughter, Dana, is completely underutilized and the resolution of her relationship with Harry is completely unearned. Uh, This movie, I think, tries to set itself up to, or like at the beginning and at the end, to be this like father reconnects with wife and daughter and it's only about his wife. And they, mm-hmm. they really shoot Horn and Dana at the end. And then I'm also not the biggest fan of making your incompetent, savage antagonist an ethnic monolith, uh, especially when this is all made up. You're representing a, a government agency that doesn't exist. You can literally fight anyone. So it does come across as a little bit uh, not so great when you're uh, making one particular ethnic group look really bad as the antagonist of your movie. I, I'm, I know that you got to have, everybody has some ethnicity and you don't have to be like, look at this like equal parts every ethnicity terrorist group. Like I, right, I don't right. think like that's they have, better. They have like, it's like half man, half half women and half of them are in wheelchairs. Right, right? exactly. And uh, it all, they look like the front of like a, uh, you know, college admissions uh, uh, pamphlet or something. Right. Um, but I don't think, I think that a lot of movies from this time uh, definitely do a disservice to a lot of like Middle Eastern people by trying to make the generic Middle Eastern person like an unshaven savage who's hell-bent on destroying America. So we'll get a little bit more into that as we go into this. Uh, but let's go ahead and, and get into our overall section. Um, go ahead, Joy. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes it rains. I feel like this movie doesn't hold up to my memories of it. And compared to the beauty and elegance of Terminator 2, this movie is freaking complicated. It takes forever for the main conflict to even be set up. At first, the movie seems to be about Harry Tasker, international man of mystery, but it's really about Harry and Helen and how they come to find new reasons to love and appreciate each other. But to get there, first you need Harry, and then you need the Omega Sector, then you need the main plot with the Crimson Jihad and the crazy chase through downtown DC. And then you need Helen and Helen's secret meeting with Simon and Harry finding out about Simon and Harry messing with Simon. It's a lot. You know, there's, there's a lot for you even to get to the part where they're like, we're in conflict. We're like, you know, we're, we're, we're getting to the, to the, uh, the meat of the, of the problem here. Yeah, well, uh, it, for- and I'm, and it took forever to get there. And up until that point, I was so... I was like uh, kind of getting bored with the movie thinking like, where is this actually going? Because I don't really care about super spy invincible man. Like that first scene really proved that he could do anything he wanted. And then it like, once we got started with this with Simon, really, I was like, Oh, okay. Maybe this is why I'm actually here to see this movie. Right. Right. I mean, Simon is like, he's such an interesting twist to this story. I think it really adds a lot, but it's, I don't know. It's, so far deep into it, it, you're so deep into the movie before you even get there, and it's just not as um, gripping as, um, like, I guess it's supposed to be. The rest of the movie is all about this, like, oh, we're going to shoot a bunch of guys, and we're going to have a lot of gunfights, and, we're, you know, we're stopping nuclear bombs and everything. And then in the middle there, there's, like, this strange, you know, uh, comedy of errors that's, that's going on. Um, so it's... I don't know. It's not, I don't, I agree with you. I think this movie is tonally consistent because it's kind of just silly the whole way through, but it's very, um, I feel like emotionally it's kind of all over the place. You're, you're starting in one area and then it's kind of high octane and then slows down to really focus on the family aspect of it. And then it uses that family aspect to kind of fuel your high octane ending. But again, like, what exactly is our resolution here? Helen is left by like uh, on the bridge as Harry goes off to save his daughter, right? You know, if this is really supposed to be a story about how they're better together or that how they're, you know, uh, supposed to be a team or something, why isn't she insisting on going with him and then like aiding in this in this uh, endeavor, right? And then at the end, they give you like, oh, she's working with that with him, right? And they're they're being spies together, but it's just kind of a button at the end to make you kind of feel good. There's no like no action behind it there's no uh there's no meaning behind it i think i think that you're right it, it would have been really fun if they did kind of a pilot co-pilot thing at the end right. where it was like maybe both of them and then she's like mom dad you know like that, yeah, that yeah. You, i could even give you more of a pass for involving dana at that point if it means like both of them are being better parents um i mean i guess you would maybe want to set it up with maybe helen not being 
also maybe not being the best parent and maybe i don't know but i agree leaving her on the bridge there is kind of like i understand that you're a spy so it's actually okay that you're absent like most of the time right not it's, that you have to change in any way i don't really think like i like harry as a character i think he's good at his job he's a very good liar he's very smooth and clever and he's just pretty dang cool. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is good at being a cool guy. I like that he cares a lot about his marriage and he goes above and beyond to find out what's going on. And I also like that he kind of gets cucked here, right? That he's made to look stupid at times because he doesn't, he doesn't pay atten- enough attention to his family. Tom Arnold says all these things to like, that just kind of make him feel worse about himself. Like, ah, oh, nobody expects it to happen to you the first time, you know? <laughs> um, and, that, and it feels real. It feels like there's something, something there worth fixing, you know? But then Harry is also just abusive toward his coworkers and uses violence to solve almost all of his problems. And when the whole thing is over, he's just justified in that decision. And we don't ever see him face the music for his constant lies and manipulations. What are we supposed to draw from that? Right. And there is a couple of scenes where, um, you know, Helen will say, oh, I can't believe you've been lying to me. And she feels betrayed. Right. Again, incredible performance from Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, as she kind of navigates this complicated emotional spectrum of like silly action movie, but also like uh, deeply disturbing um, family drama, right? <laughs> it's, I, I think she does a really good job with that. But I don't ever see Harry ever have to truly grapple with that situation beyond like he has to save his wife. And in that situation, he's saving himself too. It's not like he has to go, he's like, oh man. Uh, I guess I got my wife, you know, like that just makes it slightly more complicated, but not complicated enough for him to like not have to worry about, like to have to worry about anything extra, honestly. And, uh, you know, she's, she, she's so willing to forgive him because he saves her life, you know, I mean, sure. But there's never like a reconciliation moment where she's like, I can't believe you've been lying to me all this time. And I really need the time to like comprehend what's been going on in my life. My whole life's been a lie. Right. And uh, how can I trust you? Where, you know, where does trust begin to form after this? Right. Like she kind of just takes it for granted that he was, uh, you know, doing it for her best interest, which isn't even something that he states. He never even says like, oh, I was doing this to protect you or something, which um, would be bullshit, but it would be something. <laughs> but that's, that's I feel like we really don't get a lot or enough to say Harry has learned his lesson here. There there's a there's a, um, you know, a consequence for acting the way he did and for choosing to um lie for so long um especially i don't know especially to the this woman who feels so suited to him right that's another thing that i really like about this movie is that uh helen is like she's attracted to the spy right and she thinks all that's so intriguing and she wants to live a life of adventure and excitement and you can imagine when she was meeting harry that's exactly how she felt right when they were dating like he had all of those all those uh qualities and then suddenly they kind of faded into the background when he got his uh you know rocks off at work instead of um you know being with her so um that promise i guess was never fulfilled necessarily and now she feels betrayed in that and so her like being tough like you know kicking that guy in the balls and then uh, hitting harry over the head with a phone are amazing because it's like oh she could do this she could actually be a part of this she's not some like you know um queasy damsel in distress who's afraid of blood or anything or taking action she's out there punching guys in and uh you know trying to protect her family and um uh, that's exactly the same thing that harry's doing but he's he's not willing to give her the benefit of doubt or let her in at all. And that feels like the biggest betrayal. I don't know. It's, it's, I really like elements of this movie. I think that they, there's pieces that really work together, but they, like when you kind of dive into what's going on, it feels very much like a product of its time. And that feels like a major detriment to like the cohesiveness and long lastingness of this movie. You know, it makes you think that like something like Terminator 2 lasts a long time because it's built on like very simple ideas, whereas this one's built on like sort of a complicated ha- character like Harry, um, who is not something that we uh, think of as being a typical hero in today's like environment, especially since like he never gets his comeuppance for it. Right. If he actually he had a long way to go and if he ever learned that lesson, very, very satisfying for us to watch that. But that's not what happens. Yeah, it was. He doesn't really have to change because he's already the ultimate spy. His only issue is that uh, up 
like he has family issues that he suddenly cares about. Uh, yeah. At the beginning of the movie, when he's talking about, he's like telling his elaborate lie about having been at the conference or whatever. He's like, you should have been there. We were the stars of the show. And he's like explaining all this stuff to her. And then she's like, I talked to the plumber and uh, he told me that it was going to be $600. But if I slept with him, I'd get a hundred dollars off. And he's like, yeah, great job, honey. Great idea. And like walks off. And I was like, either he doesn't care enough to listen to the conversation, which I think is what actually happens, or he actually doesn't care about his wife sleeping with the plumber. And uh, either one of those makes me think, okay, he, he really just likes his job. And maybe this is like a family that was assigned to him as a cover and he just really is not invested so when he got upset about her cheating on him i was like very surprised to see that hurt him so much and uh it's the uh like i think you could rewrite this movie and have his family be assigned to him and have the conflict get his fake family tied up in his work and then have him be like you know what you guys are all right maybe you guys should be my real family and then by the end of it he's now committed to his family this this fake family has become his real family because he learned more about them and, and saw the benefit of like having a real connection there I and mean, that's completely different from what we got in here where it's like because you are the kind of prototypical male you are like a badass you're disrespectful to people you're able to uh you know take on any challenge and defeat it with violence and strength being cucked having somebody else take your wife out that's the issue and you can't yep. be fully a man unless you can uh you know undo that and and completely nullify whatever suitor is out there trying to take on your wife and make him piss his pants and totally embarrass him uh and, and then get your wife back but through that you shouldn't change who you are all you're doing is being more yourself and that's uh that'll prove you know that you were always who you needed to be it's literally juggling. He's literally juggling his objects in his life. It's, you know, the obje- object of his of his wife is a, a something that he can't let anyone else have a piece of, right? Because she's not a person that has like feelings or anything. She's just something that he needs to take care of, another job to like fulfill. As you were describing your like alternative true lies, which I think is is a really good start. I was thinking of another movie we watched in this or for this podcast, which is Black Widow. That movie has a similar kind of idea where, like, they're a fake family, right? They're not really supposed to be a family, but then they sort of become a family anyway because they, uh, they're the only people that they have to turn to. And I don't know, that movie kind of sat wrong with me at the time, but I feel like that application of that idea works really well in that movie. It's one of the strongest elements. And I like the idea of, like, you know, Harry has this assigned family but that becomes his real family because like the mechanism of what a family is is more about like performance than it is like like blood you know and i think that's a a, maybe an interesting element that you could um you could tie together but yeah the fact that he's uh, and i don't know it's just there's this interesting scene near the beginning of the movie right where he's he's tom arnold is giving him all of his stuff back he's like remember you're you're harry tasker you know here's your passport here's your keys to your house here's your wedding ring you know all that stuff and the way he's talking about it it's like it's another assignment and that's i think very purposeful because it's supposed to show the mindset that that harry has about his family he's like oh he's just performing for another assignment and he's just felt filling into the troll and he's like you know he's a chameleon he can he can blend into anything but he, what's lacking there is the heart or the dedication that uh, is required to actually fulfill this kind of thing. Instead, he's you know flirting with uh, international art dealers or whatever else, and that's um, I feel like it's really disappointing uh, from this from this family standpoint, but also from as your character, right? Like, what are we supposed to take away from this, and how does that how does that set up? change actually because it all it really seems to happen is that now that the family knows about it and then like helen is involved in his work um but again like you don't see her um attributes as a spy really come to fruition in this movie you see that she has like maybe some good fundamentals but but like what really makes her um you know the perfect match for him like why why isn't she saying oh harry you should do this you know you gotta you gotta um 
um, you know, go go over here and do this. She doesn't even know that Harry's commandeering that jet to save her their daughter, right? He's just like, honey, I gotta go. And then he like jumps in the jet, in the jet and leaves. Um, he doesn't just leave. He, he wrecks a cop car on his way there. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, <laughs> I did think it was really funny that whenever he would do some like chaotic like bullshit while he was on the job he would just be like sorry <laughs> like <laughs> that made me laugh but like again because i because this movie is full of stuff like that like i think it's for the most part fine but if you look at it at face value it's like he is just doesn't really care that much what kind of chaos and pain he causes in pursuit of his own goals uh that's just who he is all right i think we've i think we've uh hammered this horse enough let's talk about the actual horse in this movie um so that this scene where he uh, i guess we should set this up so the the bad guys are after harry they've been following him in a car and one of the guys um escapes on a motorcycle after harry kills two of the other guys and harry grabs commandeers a police horse and chases him through dc through a bunch of buildings and, and all this like nonsense um it's pretty amazing it's a really incredible shot and um i mean just like the idea that he's like going through the lobby with the motorcycle right and it's just like when is he gonna ditch this motorcycle and then harry comes in with the horse um and of course when he's when he talks to the police officer he's just like i need your horse basically like i'm just <laughs> i just like oh this is what you're gonna do like i'm just gonna take the the nearest livestock i have and then it seems to work like he actually like is in in pretty good pursuit horse versus motorcycle who will win um and yeah i I really do like it when they're driving through the lobby of the of the hotel all those people like fall into the fountain and like the the The, the freaking like like like, the the, the trumpet guys yeah like that stuff is all great i mean yeah the stunts in this movie are one of the strongest aspects like it really delivers on the spy movie action uh parts of the movie i mean there's so many memorable scenes from like the bathroom shootout where the tile on the wall is exploding and the lights are flickering and you know you've got the running water everywhere then like you're describing right now the horse and the motorcycle chase scene where it's like I don't think I've ever seen this combination like happening inside <laughs> of a building. And then the bridge scene in the Florida Keys where the bridge explodes and that truck goes flying and then you have the other guys who like tip over and then <laughs> immediately explode as soon as they touch like something after a short fall uh, and and uh, i thought i was watching like a gta 5 gameplay with like yeah. how the vehicle immediately explodes and then the hairier scene at the end those things are all done masterfully they still look great and they're creatively done they stand out to me as like not just another chase scene not just another explosion but something that is pulled off in a way that um, is, is going to stick with you. And I think it's one of the strongest aspects of uh, of this movie. It really justifies the huge budget they had uh, for this oh, movie. Yeah. When he when the, the bad guy, uh, he jumps off the roof with the motorcycle into a, like a pool on like an adjacent building. And like crazy. And then uh, Harry's like, we're going to take the horse. He's like, all right, horse, we're going to do it too. <laughs> <laughs> And then when he gets pulled back up, he's like, what kind of cop are you? <laughs> Sock of a horse. Right. Hilarious. And again, it's like that scene was almost too loony for me. I'm like, uh, like, this is like silly. Uh, but at the same time, it's like the movie, I think, stays around that level of silliness where I'm like willing to stick with that. Like the other part where they're like a, <laughs> right before the uh, Harrier pilots are going to shoot rockets at the trucks. They're like these rockets won't set off those nukes right and arnold is like no and then he looks over at, at uh, tom arnold and he like <laughs> shrugs and like kind of <laughs> grins like i don't know <laughs> it's like uh, we might accidentally set off a few nukes <laughs> hilarious which again is so yeah, funny he's like in the moment is very funny you know so it's like uh they, they just don't they, they kind of hover around that level of like being completely ridiculous yeah yeah and then, like him, him and commandeering the jet is like you know sort of a payoff for him commandeering the horse. Uh, it's just like the, I think you're right. Like the, the horse thing is just so over the top. And then, the, but then I was thinking the exact same thing when he's flying the jet through the town, like or, or like through the 
you know, downtime Miami. It's like, there's no way this is this is possible. Like, there's no <laughs> way that you could actually just do this. Um, and then he comes in there and just shoots up the entire 20th floor uh, so that he can like, how did he even know that was the 20th floor? Was he counting floors <laughs> as he was going up? He just freaking shoots it out, like hoping he's not going to hit his daughter. Oh my gosh. And then, yeah, and then at the very end, right, the very last like special effects scene is when he, um, he, uh, twists the the plane and then uh the main bad guy i don't even know his name he falls onto the um onto the missile right and he's hanging there like uh like a like a wet shirt and he <laughs> shoots the the you're fired he shoots the missile and he goes through the building into the uh you know um the helicopter and all the guys in the helicopter are like huh? Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. so surprised <laughs> before they like ex- explode into a ball of fire hilarious uh it's just um it really does like it makes me like both roll my eyes and also go like wow that was freaking cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I think that's exactly how i felt too and and while we're (laughs) on that like final scene let's talk about that a little bit because i think that uh is a good opportunity to explain how i feel about dana because at the beginning of the movie dana like robbing tom arnold is like dang yeah she really is headed down the wrong path and i do think that boyfriends on motorcycles get a bad rap in movies Mm, Um, i don't i think they deserve all the slander they get (laughs) no 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 no, dude remember in uh in small soldiers soldiers? yeah are uh have you flipped on this subject uh we wanted uh, justice for brad he didn't do anything brad but that was despite his motorcycle not because of the motorcycle Well, either way, she's headed down this uh, this bad path. And so I was interested to see how Arnold would repair that. But we don't even see Dana pretty much ever again until this scene. And it's like, oh, okay. And it would be one thing for her to just be a hostage and for Arnold to have to rescue her. But then she does something incredibly ballsy to steal the key to the nuke and then run away. Um, and... Uh, like well, it, how do they even get her? Hold on a second, all right? right? This is supposed to be in Miami that they're doing this, right. this like showdown. She's in D.C., right? That's like a, what, 10, 13-hour trip by, by uh, pl- not by plane, but by uh, car. Right. Uh, I don't know how far it is by plane. Maybe like three or four hours, I would say. Probably, yeah. But like, so like, when do they possibly have time to do this, right? Because they're like, okay, we're going to set the nuke, right? 90 minutes goes off. They have Arnold's... Um, uh, they have Arnold's um, uh, wallet, but they find Dana's picture in it. Like, okay, we can find this girl because we know we're going to need her because Harry's going to escape and, uh, you know, go after us. So let's send somebody off to do that and then capture her. Then the um, the nuke goes off, right, 90 minutes later. And now Dana is in Miami, captured by the terrorists, right? I, I mean, that's a pretty, uh, uh, you know, this is pre 9-11, so it's possible they made it through security before uh, without too much trouble. But there's no way, logistically, they were able to find that girl and safely, you know, move her to another city so they could, like, capture her there. And, like, I, I just struggle with the idea of, like, why did they... Well, hold on, Joey. Let's, let's focus on what you just asked, which is how she got there. And yeah. I hate to break it to you, but this movie has an ironclad reason. And it's because the helmet wearing motorcycle driver that Dana got on the back of the motorcycle with was a member of uh, whatever Crimson Jihad. And the uh. entire movie, he's driving her to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> and they just happen to realize that she was Arnold's daughter. Uh, and then from there, it was simple. They just had to take her from the first floor to the to the 21st floor. That or makes sense. That she's, she's consorting with the wrong sort, including international terrorists. That's right. That makes sense. You were picking her up at high school. Jeez. Um, I mean, it makes sense to me. <laughs> There's no other explanation. That's the, the only other, one. <laughs> the other thing is how... Okay, so... And I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic here, but I I, I want to fill this hole a little bit. Yeah, There's yeah. this. So when they first, when the terrorists jump into Harry and Helen's hotel room while Helen is doing her striptease, right? Yeah. Um. He she hits him with the phone, and then she's like Harry, and then the then and then the terrorists come in, and they they grab both of them and leave. So they clearly know that Harry is some sort of intelligence officer, but I think they even mentioned that they're not even sure which agency he's with. Right. Yeah. They so, didn't know. How did they know he was there, and why did they grab him and her at that moment? Good question. 
You know, I was I was almost I was starting to think maybe there's like, you know, a double agent involved here. Maybe maybe Tom Arnold was like working with a terrorist or something. And he told them, oh, you got to go here to, to capture this guy to get him out of our, our hair or whatever. And then maybe he's the one that like had the idea to grab Dana and had her like, you know, um, you know, uh, on on deck or something to, to pull up or something like that. Um, Dang. I don't know. Yeah, I, that would be crazy, dude. If Tom Arnold ended up being the twist villain, that would be awesome. Like he he like uh, planted a pack of cigs somewhere in the house, and like that's how he yeah. was able to get Dana or something. Or like, yeah, he um, uh, you know, he's like he's angry that uh, Arnold has been uh, in, you know, on the out in out of the van. He's always the guy in the van. It's the last seventeen years or whatever. <laughs> I've been the guy in the van. And now he's he's fed up with it, you know? And then he like ties Arnold up in a van and like sends it like towards a cliff or something. He's like, no, yeah. you're the guy in the van. No, <laughs> you're the guy in the van. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't have a explanation for that. Honestly, I didn't even think about it. Uh, but you're right. Like it's, I don't know why the terrorists would have shown up in that moment, except for it being convenient for the plot. It was. It's very strange. Well, um, but anyway. like, uh, but like going back to Miami, back to um, saving. Dana. Back to Miami. Um, she's, I'm in Miami. <laughs> I, I'm in Miami. Uh, Drake uh, would have, would love this scene. Um, the what's funny to me is this part of the movie um, feels very similar to Jingle All the Way's climactic scene. Uh, okay. So Dana grabs the keys and runs away, and the big bad, the main bad guy, is chasing after her, being like, "Give it back to me! Give it back to me!" And that happens in Jingle All the Way when. Uh, Jamie grabs the Turbo Man doll and he's running away from Sinbad and they both have this scene where like the kid is like cautiously like crawling out on something made of metal that's high up in the sky and they're trying to like get away and they're and like the big bad is like reaching for them and trying to grab it and then the kid falls and Arnold has to catch them midair in some sort of mechanized flying equipment wow. um, so and, and th- this movie came out just two years before jingle all the way and like the parallels are unbelievable uh let's do true lies but christmas themed right and honestly (laughs) that movie similarly has like big plot holes and and issues with the main character not changing at all but being rewarded anyways uh so maybe i I, yeah that's honestly what i'm seeing is that jingle all the way is just a ripoff of uh of true lies uh great movie though i still love it (laughs) but but yeah i think i've basically said this at this point but like this movie totally skips over the part where Arnold and Dana have to have any sort of meaningful exchange of ideas or, or her, she has to have any sort of arc at all. Uh, she just starts off as bad, disappears the entire movie, gets rescued in the climax, and then at the end of the movie, we can tell that their relationship is repaired via the the three-way thumb war. So yeah. Uh, that's, that's, yeah, totally unearned, totally hollow, and uh, yeah, completely random. I agree. Do you want to talk about the terrorists? Let's Let, talk about the let's terrorists. Let's talk about the terrorists, yeah. Because, um, yeah, there are bad guys in this one. And um, I didn't, like, I, it made me feel uneasy to have just a bunch of nameless Middle Eastern guys who are portrayed as, like, kind of savage and stupid. Uh, and like I said before, I don't know how to, like, do the perfect villain where you aren't in danger of this idea. I think Die Hard 1 did a pretty good job having this kind of like multinational terrorist organization, but not every... I don't think that you should be like, okay, let's copy and paste Die Hard every time we're doing, you know, we need an enemy. Uh, I, You know, another thing that top gun does is that it, they just have helmets on all their uh, like bad guys, which also doesn't feel like it would work in this movie because you'd miss out on a lot of the stuff that uh, our villains did that kind of does make them interesting. Uh, but I feel like the reason why they chose this specific ethnic group is because of actual conflict going on in the 90s and they mm. were trying to pick like a realistic imaginary threat. And... Um, when you're making up a government agency to represent, you could also make up an imaginary threat. You don't have to follow yep. that. And I feel like that is kind of red meat for people who are already looking for a reason to hate people from that region of the country. So this is just not very productive. Well, I think that um, you're exactly right. And there is, 
you know, there's there's a reason why movies use cliches and stereotypes, right? It's to skip over the part where they have to explain why this person is bad, right? They can say, oh, he's, um, you know, uh, he's uh, killing or, you know, he's killing uh, kids or something. I don't know. There's, there's, you know, he's doing something. But if you, if you just dress a guy in a certain way, um, Nazis are a classic example. Um, if you uh, have them do some, like, you know specific thing they say something like specific words or or whatever they uh that's a cue in your mind that this is a bad guy right and you have to be you have to be careful with that because um it's useful it's very useful but it's also like every time you do that it paints the rest of the world with that same brush you know and i think that this movie is a perfect example of being irresponsible with that brush because Although at the time, yeah, there were some international conflicts with like, you know, Middle East. There's always stuff going on in the Middle East. I mean, it's been for you know, decades. But um, this is pre 9-11. So this was kind of a nebulous enemy, right? There weren't like, you know, you know, there wasn't as much Islamophobia in the in the in the US. Um, but after 9-11, this sits very differently. It feels very pointed. It feels like these guys are, the, you know, you can tell they're bad guys. It's because of the color of their skin. It's because mm-hmm. they're calling themselves jihad. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've heard that in Fox News how many times? Uh, countless. So that kind of thing, it doesn't work the same way. And actually, like, there was, there was uh, considerable talks about a sequel to this movie, but they never made it because of 9-11. They said that there was this, like, extended fight scene on an airplane that uh, James Cameron basically said he didn't, he would not, we would want to cut from the movie and rewrite because he did not want to make any references to 9-11. And Jamie Lee Curtis has said, even as recently as 2019, that it's just not going to work because um, the it's just not as funny. Terrorism is not as funny as it used to be. It was it was something that you know was real, but like it was kind of a it wasn't like a real threat. You know, people were, it was just kind of a thing that or a concept uh, back in 1994. And now it has it feels so much more real it feels so much more pointed and um you can't make jokes like that um in today's world so you know uh i'll say i said it once i'll say it again 9-11 ruined everything uh including the uh the true lies uh two <laughs> uh you know sequel Damn. but it's um it is it feels very wrong for a lot of reasons you know i think die hard is, is a pretty good example because you have all these like interesting looking characters, right? And they all kind of speak, you know, in funny ways and they all like do different things, have different specialties and stuff. That's not true at all in this. There's one guy. There's literally one guy. Um, I believe it is um, Art Malik who plays uh, Salim uh, Abu Aziz or uh, what, Sand Spider, I think is his like code name or something like that. I don't know. He, it's. Um, uh, he, he's just he's like the main guy right he's got this uh, insane hairline where it's like on the, in the middle of his head and he's like you know bugging out and like you know acting like a like a crazy guy and then all of his other uh goons are just that they're just goons you know there's a couple of them that look a little different there's a there's a sweaty guy that holds the camera there's the big guy in the suit that drives the limo but other than that like they all are just you know fodder for arnold's gun you know so there there there's no development there there's no like um you know, there's no humor between like the bad guys or anything. You know, there, there, there's no personality basically, um, and even their goals. So let's talk about that too. Like their goal of being like, okay, we're going to threaten the United States with nuclear weapons because they have you know blown up all of our stuff, and we basically want them to pull out of you know. Well, our let's listen home to this country. quote. Let's hear okay. them say it themselves. You have killed our women and our children bombed our cities from afar like cowards, and you dare to call us terrorists? Now, the oppressed have been given a mighty sword with which to strike back at their enemies. Unless you, America, pulls all military forces out of the Persian Gulf area immediately and forever, Crimson Jihad will rain fire on one major U.S. city each week until our demands are met. First, we will detonate one weapon on this uninhabited island as a demonstration of our power and Crimson Jihad's willingness to be humanitarian. However, if these demands are not met, 
Crimson Jihad will rain fire on one major American city each week. Right, and uh, of course, that sound, that beeping sound that we were hearing was the battery for the camcorder running low while he was trying to record this message. But I honestly feel like this like little speech was like a bit of actual realism inside of an otherwise completely goofy movie where these like terrorists are saying it's like, this is all we can do at this point because American imperialism has completely screwed up our part of the planet and we just want that to stop. So we're going to fight back in uh, the only way that we can figure out how because we can't take you on directly because uh, we'll lose. We've been losing. So instead, we'll do this uh, because you genuinely have like destroyed our way of life. And it's like, oh, well... That that kind of sounds like reasonable. Like you're not doing this because you're like, we hate freedom or we hate America just inherently. It's like, sure. We're pissed off because you guys won't stop blowing us up. Uh, so I don't know. It was a weird, like almost uh criticism of American imperialism that was like out, outright stated inside of this movie. I, it, it's weird because I like that's what the words say, but there's nothing else in the movie that supports this idea. And honestly, it feels like placeholder dialogue to me. It feels like this has no connection at all to anything else in the movie, right? There's no like um, button at the beginning of the movie where they show like, um, you know, a very quick scene of um, Salim, you know, out in the desert or, you know, wherever, right? Pakistan or whoever. And he's um, saying, I, he's like with his family and he's like, and like their house got blown up or something. And he's like, I will, you know, this is my time to, to strike back against America or something. Like I, I am, you know, uh, America has made a deadly enemy today and I am going to, you know, in, in, enact my revenge at, at any cost. Um, or like there's, there's nothing about like Arnold and Omega Sector and their role in like international you know, affairs that seems to like tie this whole thing together, right? Even if it was inadvertent, right? Maybe uh, that 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 first scene where Arnold's at the mansion, right, and he's talking to um, uh, Juno Skinner, the art dealer, right? Maybe that had some sort of connection to like he planted a bomb or did something that completely disrupted, uh, you know, this this Crimson Jihad's like. Um, uh, I don't know, operations or something, right? It, it, something he did inspired them to retaliate, right? And maybe he had no idea that was going to happen, but like it's a, it, it ties our characters together, right? Like, oh, he, he, is the, he is the catalyst that creates this problem that they, eventually he has to end up solving, right? Um, and that doesn't make your, your bad guys sympathetic necessarily, but, they're, but uh, it, it gives you a... Um, a reason for everyone to be there. Right. You know I mean? it, it ties your conflict with your uh, like protagonist. Like, I, I could imagine the scene where like, I don't know, Arnold is like trying to drive quickly through the streets of some Middle Eastern town and he like, you know, goes through a, a stoplight and causes a school bus full of children to like drive off a cliff and they all die. Yeah. And Arnold's like, sorry. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's when he, you know, Crimson Jihad is formed or something. Yeah, like something something like that, right? Or, or maybe if they maybe if you don't even see that, maybe that's something that's mentioned later. Like, oh, your operations, you know, twelve years ago when you first joined the Omega Sector, have uh, you know, have come to roost. You know, yeah. this is this is the consequences of your meddling in international. Like you affairs. thought that assassinating this guy was like uh, good for the mission, but it ended up creating a vacuum, and now this guy take over, and and he's terrible for our region. And like what you thought was doing good is actually making our yeah yeah something like that. Yeah, so, uh, anything like that, and just and even that that's just dialogue, right? That that somehow puts together, or you know, maybe you know the theme of this movie is about how like. Uh, I guess honesty, right? Like we should be, uh, you know, more honest with the people that in our life, and how like um, our like secrets don't really help anyone, and really just like create division and conflict within our personal lives, which ends up like having ripple effects throughout time or something. Maybe you could tie that into this, you know, element right here, right? There's so there's so much of this movie that's like clever. 
Uh, but this part is, it feels completely vacuous. It feels completely like, okay, um, Middle Eastern terrorists and they, uh, they want people, they want America to leave the Middle East. It's like the very first thing you might think of, you know? Right. But it's, it's like, it's it, feel- with the other thing there is that the implication is that it's such a preposterous thing that it's like, of course, we're not going to negotiate with them or like listen <laughs> to them at all. We're just going to go destroy them. <laughs> right. Right. So like, yeah, I don't know. And they also feel very toothless. That's the other thing, too. So I, I want to tie this back to Harry. One of the things that Harry does to make him seem like a bad husband in this movie is that he misses his birthday dinner, right? Not his daughter's birthday dinner, not his anniversary with his wife, his own birthday dinner. You know, of all the things to miss, right? Uh, doesn't feel that bad, honestly. Like if, if it's a celebration <laughs> for you specifically and then you don't show up i mean that, that that's certainly a faux pas for sure and you definitely should be better about that but of all the events you know it didn't miss his um daughter's violin recital like in uh, a law-abiding citizen, cello you know? recital yeah, yeah, yeah thank you he didn't he didn't <laughs> he didn't miss you know like something um like a graduation or um some important event it was just like his birthday dinner what doesn't even like a lot of people were there it's just his daughter and his wife you know so like what exactly I don't know. It feels completely um, innocuous. It feels completely like this movie doesn't have that much that much stakes at, at play here. And same thing with Crimson Jihad. They blow up a uninhabited island with a nuclear bomb. It's like, okay, you're writing a fantasy story. It's a silly story. Why not? You know, why not have them bomb an actual city, right? And have some like funny little like uh, scene where you have like a farmer out in his farm and he's like. Hey, honey, uh, the winds seem strange today. And then his like house gets blown apart by a nuclear bomb. You know, yeah, like yeah. So, so, something kind of funny like that. <laughs> or I don't like, know. or like, uh, you know, his uh, like I don't know. He farts, and then she farts, <laughs> and then he's like, "Oh, check this out!" And then like a nuke goes off. <laughs> yeah i don't know that, that would be kind of fun you know <laughs> and like I, you don't have to make it as like terrifying as the nuclear explosion in terminator 2 right you, right. you make it like silly like the rest of it but the crimson jihads like you're like oh, we're gonna use one of our four nukes to blow up uh, uh an island it's like okay i guess you guys are you know serious but like not that serious because you're not going to willing to kill people on your first strike so i don't really know what to what to take from you it feel again it feels like like there's not really anything there it feels like there's the they're like oh we're gonna go we'll go sort of to the edge but not really that close you know uh the horse sort of backs away before he he uh he bucks himself over the edge um it really does feel like there's really not that much at stake here yeah, it felt to me. It feels like this movie really focuses on not being serious and not trying to even tempt you to engage with anything uh, more than lighthearted fun, which is fun. Like I, I can, I can enjoy a movie that doesn't make me think, which sounds really bad to say, like explicitly, but. Um, <laughs> Like, it would be one thing if this movie tried to win, like, cheap points. And it does in a certain extent with, like, fixing his family relationship issues. But for the most part, I feel like this movie just tries to be, like, a fun little adventure with quippy dialogue and cool action. And it, it isn't more than that. Which, you know, you can hold against it. But at the same time, is it, when it doesn't try to be more than that, I think it, it succeeds in just being a fun movie. I think these are all just missed opportunities, right? Like there's more, there's more to mine out of this that we've seen in other action movies that like, you know, and maybe that's too much to ask for, but I also feel like, uh, maybe if you can't do a great job with it, maybe you should think of another way to do it, you know? And I feel like, yeah, there's just, there's like holes, right? There's like little pits. There's these great moments. There's these moments that really stand out right jamie lee curtis's trip tease is like one of the most famous scenes in movie history it's amazing i, I feel like we haven't heaped reasons. enough praise onto her she was so good in this movie like that scene where she looks at herself in the mirror like she she is like terrified going into this mission but she looks at herself in the mirror she realizes in that moment this is what i've been asking for this is yeah. what i want i've been 
you know, chasing this other guy around, not because I was actually into him. It was because I was into the excitement that his life presumably contained. And now I've got this opportunity and I'm going to take full advantage of it. All that stuff comes out without her saying a word. It's just her looking in the mirror. Then she tears off all that stuff on her dress. And, you know, she's sexy. She's cool. She redoes her hair. And it was just like, ah, I was just blown away. And then she has that confidence of, uh, like, becoming a badass, but like still holds on to a certain level of like humor, uh, that makes her fit into this wacky world that this movie exists within. Like the, when she falls down mid like striptease, hilarious. Like it's, she's able to pull that off without coming across as like corny or annoying. Um, she just is honestly perfect for this role. Yeah. And there's this, there's right before that, right there, they're interrogating her uh, with a voice changer in like this uh, sterile room. And and she says this, which I think is kind of the thesis statement of the movie. I needed to feel alive. I just wanted to do something outrageous. And it felt really good to be needed. and to be trusted and to be special. It's just that there's so much I wanted to do with this life and it's like I haven't done any of it. And the sand's running out of the hourglass and I just wanted to be able to look back and say, see, I did that. I was reckless and I was wild and I fucking did it. I don't give a shit whether you understand that or not. I mean, it's um, isolated like this, right? It's clearly, clearly a monologue. But in the context of the movie, it feels so natural for her to say this and to say it in the way she does. She feels incredibly exasperated by the, by the entire experience and by her life up to this point. And yeah, I, I don't know. There's, there's every scene she's in, she really brings that you know there's a lot of emotional heart to this movie that's centered all around her while as you know arnold is being uh funny the whole time there she has elements of humor that tie in with this like uh you know uh genuineness or just this uh willingness to kind of go along with it that i think is very um uh, very compelling Uh, it's uh, it makes me wish that that you know them fighting together or them like you know kind of Going, going kind of head to head about like their different views of how the family should work is a bigger part of the movie um and yeah i, I don't know it, it's it is what probably the best part of the movie is jamie Lee curtis just uh acting yeah no she's she is great in this movie and, and maybe it's she's too good <laughs> for what the rest of this movie is um but i love to see a great jamie well, Lee i don't curtis know i think i think again like we have like it's like hills and valleys of this right there there are pieces that are just like feel like they're missing there are there are things that feel like they're unresolved uh you know big old shotgun sized holes in the script but then there's you know this really great performance there's a lot of really funny things that arnold says there's a lot of really great action and so uh, in some parts it really you know hits that mark and i think really like the thing that i wish was different was that it 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 took the pieces that it gave you and gave you a little bit more of those pieces and um, you know tried harder in those elements because I really just feel like those parts are lacking. Are we ready to move on to our cool Easter eggs? We, yeah, I'm ready to move on to our cool Easter eggs. All right. What do you got? So this movie was based on a French film called La Totale, uh, which is a 1991 French spy comedy film directed by Claude Zidi. Um, and it's essentially the same premise. There's a guy who's a spy and he has a wife who doesn't know he's a spy. And then he find then she starts cheating on him or starts seeing a guy who, uh, pretends to be a spy. And then they, um, uh, you know, get interrupt- interrupted by a terrorist or something. And he like sets up this whole entire elaborate plot thread. It's very similar to this movie. This movie came out, yeah, 1991. So it's only three years before. So it's been sort of adapted for american audiences and for a big cast um so uh, uh, the wikipedia is very uh for this movie is uh very uh short 
um, just because I think uh, it's sort of claim to fame is that it inspired True Lies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, and that portion of True Lies is one of the best parts. Like, yes. the, when they cut open Simon's uh, trailer. Oh, that's hilarious. And everybody, <laughs> and it's like, everybody's uh, like confused about what's going on. Like, Simon's like, I'm lying. Why is this happening? And Jamie Lee Curtis is like, this is real. And uh, was just, <laughs> that, that was so funny. Like, the, the again, the way they play with like the truth in this movie is very clever. Yes, yes. Um, this is Arnold's second most deadly movie. Um, according to a article from a digital spy, uh, they uh, commando he kills eighty one people in True Lies he kills fifty one people in Total Recall he kills forty four people. Mm. Um, I mean he's in a lot of movies he kills a lot of people, but uh, this is uh, one of one of his most one of the biggest. Very impressive. I mean that's what he does, right? He shows up and he shoots everyone. That's right. That's what he, that's what he's supposed to do. That's what he tells James Cameron he wants to do. That's right. Um, <laughs> I couldn't find a actual like verified source about this, but I read on Reddit that the scene where Arnold is talking with Tom Tom Arnold and they are um, having an argument about like the uh, like the pages, right? He's like the transcript, I want yeah, the transcript of the thing. He apparently broke a real window with that. There was he was supposed to break the um, pasture side like front window. And by like smashing it because it was like a breakable glass, but he broke the wrong window and just like punched right through it. Um, and um, I don't know if that's true or not, but it sounds impressive. <laughs> that sure. is hilarious. <laughs> Which again, another like whimsical, silly thing that happens in this movie. He does that. They don't even address it and just drive off with a broken yeah. window. It's like, okay, yeah. whatever. Um, and the last thing, which is that I have, which is not fun very much or whimsical is that um uh, the girl who plays dana eliza dushku um alleges that she was molested by the stunt coordinator on this film um and a guy named joel kramer uh since then uh, he's been dropped by like his uh guild and um uh, the other stars of this movie jamie Lee curtis tom arnold uh, arnold schwarzenegger and james i think it's james cameron all have you know voiced their support of eliza um, but apparently this was uh, something that was going on behind the scenes. And in fact, after she, when she, she was 12 years old at the time, she brought it up to one of the, one of her co-stars, one of her adult co-stars who confronted Kramer about this. And then, uh, the, in the next sh- like scene that they did, uh, she, Eliza actually broke three ribs during a stunt, um, because Joel Kramer, uh, basically let her fall. Um, wow. so it's uh yeah pretty pretty disgusting honestly yeah that and is messed puts up puts a terrible taint on this movie um uh, which is as you said just generally pretty fun <laughs> yeah no i mean um along similar lines um arnold schwarzenegger had a near fatal accident on set during the horse riding scene when his horse got startled and ran out of control uh schwarzenegger managed to slide off the horse but uh did this near a 30 foot drop off and his personal stuntman saw what happened and was able to grab him before he went over the ledge. Incredible. Crazy. That would, that would have been, what a tragedy if, if Arnold <laughs> died in some like silly stunt for True Lies 1. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It's dangerous out there. Stunts. Yeah. No, for it's sure. Tough, it's, a tough, it's tough work. Uh, so another one, when Harry tells Gib that Helen is having an affair, Gib tells a story about his second wife taking everything when she left him, even the ice cube trays from the freezer. This is a direct reference to Tom Arnold's divorce from Roseanne Barr that was happening at the same time. She was reported to have taken his ice cube trays when she left him as well. Arnold told the story to James Cameron on the set saying, what kind of sick bitch takes the ice cube trays out of the freezer? Cameron thought the line is hilarious and incorporated it into the film <laughs> so very big divorced guy energy coming yeah. from tom arnold in this movie it's like it's it's funny that that like was a ad lib but it's also incredibly sad that tom arnold is like i'm actually playing myself in this movie you're right <laughs> yeah. uh 
Another one, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, biggest challenge this movie was not all the physical stunts, despite it almost killing him, uh, but dancing a tango. He had to take dance lessons to realistically perform the dance. He rehearsed uh, the scene for about six months as he wanted to make sure he was as good at the tango as Al Pacino was in Scent of a Woman. And th- I'm like, I was interested to find this because that was exactly what was going through my head when we saw extended scenes of Arnold dancing the tango. I was like, this is literally dancing with the stars. Like this is, this is literally <laughs> a like TV show where people watch people who aren't dancers try to dance and then sc- like scrutinize how they're not good at it. I don't know how to dance tango. Uh, like I took ballroom dancing in college. So I, I've, I've danced it a little bit. I'm not good at it. Uh, it's not easy. It's definitely easier dances. So um, I guess props to Arnold for really putting the work in because he looked like he knew what he was doing. Yeah, definitely. Um, another one. Uh, James Cameron has a cameo in this movie. Uh, he can, he's the voice of the guy of the helicopter pilot who says, yeah, she's got her head in his lap. Yahoo. (laughs) (laughs) It was an odd bit of color from the, uh, helicopter pilot. Uh, you're just reporting what was happening. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. There's your, that's a true Easter egg right there. And then finally, uh, my last Easter egg, according to the Guinness book of world records, this is the first movie to have a production budget of 100 million dollars and this made it the most expensive movie at the time breaking the record of james cameron's previous movie terminator 2 judgment day uh and it would lose this record the following year to water world wow and water world is that's interesting because water world was famously over budget mm -hmm. it's like they actually had to like double its budget um because they most of the stuff that they built got destroyed in a hurricane um well because it was like built on the ocean uh Sp- steven spielberg actually told kevin costner never film on the ocean <laughs> because <laughs> it's the worst idea ever and uh now now everybody knows why basically um so yeah and our world of course made no money as well actually that's not true it actually did uh, uh make a profit it's just uh it's famous for uh making less than they expected well, um, it's so. it's interesting how all these things like kind of tie together. Like, obviously, this movie is directed by James Cameron. Terminator Two is directed by James Cameron. Um, Waterworld wasn't in, in, directed by him, but it Waterworld is basically like could be a stand-in name for Avatar Two. Uh, so it all kind ah, of there ties you go. Together there. Very funny. <laughs> uh, okay, well, those are all of my Easter eggs. Uh, all right, so that is going to bring us to the end of our conversation on True Lies, as we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat. We'll now deliver our ratings, and I'll go first this time. Okay. I'm going to give this movie a kiss in front of a nuclear explosion. Wow. I liked that. I I thought that scene came across really cool. It was a very uh, cathartic kiss. Definitely. What about you, Joey? What rating do you want to give to True Lies? I give this movie riding a horse through a hotel lobby. That's one way to do it. Yeah. It it seemed like a good idea at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, there we go. True Lies. We've done it. We've talked about it. Uh, It's our second James Cameron movie in a row. And uh, what's next, Joey? Our third James Cameron movie in a row, Aliens. Aliens. Another sequel. Yes, and it's it's another one that I've never seen before. So it'll be my first time ever seeing Aliens, which I know is to a lot of people kind of uh appalling what? yeah huh? i've never seen aliens i you was always a too podcast and you've never seen aliens right oh my gosh huh? if, I, if i had a dollar for every time somebody said you have a movie podcast and you haven't seen blank <laughs> i would be able to be a full-time podcaster i'll tell you that so uh yeah so that's what's coming up on apple chat as we continue to ramp up on our way to avatar 2 so we're just finishing off the year with james cameron uh which uh, honestly sounds great to me uh, so. so yeah but that's coming up next if you like this podcast then you can subscribe to us on itunes spotify google play or wherever you get your podcasts affablechat.com is your new favorite website on the internet that's where you can find the latest from us and all of our social media accounts including twitter instagram tiktok youtube and even our email address afflechat at gmail.com tell a friend about our podcast all you have to say is have you considered listening to affable chat Apple Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Apple Chat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Apple Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>